you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Tonight we are going to get into the word of the Lord and I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about prayer. I think it is critical for us at this juncture. We... For some, have been fasting for a while, and now, starting Saturday, many others picked up with the 21-day leg of our fast, and I trust that everyone is doing something. Several uh, are fasting in different methods and different ways. Some are doing all-out fasting. Some are doing Daniel's fast. Whatever that you are doing that is a sacrifice that is pleasing to the Lord, we know God is going to reward you. But fasting without prayer may not accomplish nearly as much than fasting coupled with prayer. And so tonight we're going to talk a little bit about prayer. I'm just going to take as a text Luke chapter 19, and this is... Uh, So very familiar uh, when Jesus goes up into the temple uh, for the hour of prayer and when he gets to the temple, he discovers that in the temple there were many other things that were happening. The money changers, as the scripture calls it, were there and they were buying and selling And they were using the facilities that were designed and consecrated unto the Lord to be a place of revenue and a place of profit. And Jesus became very angry at them. And in the 45th verse of Luke chapter 19, the scripture said in Jesus, being the he there, and he, Jesus, went into the temple And began to cast them out that sold therein and them that bought. Saying unto them, it is written, my house shall be called, or my my house is the house of prayer. But ye have made it a den of thieves. And so... Uh, In our text, uh, I'm talking to you tonight about the house of prayer. And in our text, it's very easy to become confused and begin to think that Jesus perhaps 
was in a bad mood, that he had had a bad day, and he showed up. And um, Jesus' response was because that he was frustrated, and he took his frustrations out on those that were not being 100% obedient. But the truth is, Jesus had not had a bad day. As a matter of fact, he had just come through the Palm Sunday celebration where he rides into town on a colt and they are waving palm branches and they're saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. And so this story is unfolding that Jesus is being recognized. Now remember before Jesus rides into Jerusalem, the last time that Jesus was at Jerusalem, he was not so welcomed and he told them that he would depart and that he would not return until they recognized him as the Messiah and until they were laying down palm branches and saying Hosanna to the highest. And so Jesus comes in, they recognize him, and Jesus, of course, straightway goes unto the temple, uh, into the house of prayer. But when he gets there, he finds them making something out of the house of prayer other than what he had intended to be. Jesus is going into the temple and he reacts with boldness and he reacts with authority because the temple was never intended to be a place of profit. The temple was to be a house of prayer, but the people had a different idea about what the temple was to be used for. Let, let me just say this in the onset of this message or lesson tonight. Where I see the church, God intends for his church, for his house, to be a house of prayer. Anything else is unacceptable. And when this happens, the Lord himself will always deal with it. Much like the church today, when the Lord dealt with the issue of what they had made out of the temple, the religious folks of that day became very angry. But it was not until the Lord dealt with the issues that was going on in the temple that the blind came and were healed and the lame came and walked. So my point is, is that the Lord had to deal with the issues in the temple. And then once the issues in the temple were dealt with, then the miraculous was seen. But God had to deal with issues. Now, we are at a juncture where our church moves into a season of prayer and fasting. And we do and we have for the last 11 years that we have participated. We often pray for miracles and signs and wonders and revival. And we are seeing them. And we have seen them. And we will see them again. But... These things cannot happen when the church 
is something other than what God designed the church to be. And that is a house of prayer. The greatest obstacle in the path of revival is not the lack of money, yet it is often something that is a preventing factor from the church being able to do many things that need to be done. But the greatest path in the obstacle to revival is flesh. Flesh is the greatest hindrance to revival. The Lord never intended the church to be a place of enjoyment and thrill and satisfaction and relaxation. I cringe when I hear people, and I understand, uh, don't get me wrong tonight, I don't want to come off hypersensitive or super spiritual when I make this statement, but I cringe sometimes when I hear people continually saying, oh, I hope they sing that song. I really enjoy it. Oh, I really hope they get that preacher to preach because I really enjoy his preaching style. Oh, I hope, I hope we have this event or that activity because it's so much fun. God never intended to be the, the church to be a place of fun and enjoyment. I had someone tell me one time that they came to church because it was the only time that they could get any rest. Spiritual rest may be in order, but the church ought not to be the place you come to to take your naps. Well, I ought to got a stronger amen than just Brother Dan. The church ought to not be a place we come to just to relax. The Lord never intended the church to be anything more nor anything less, but He intended the church to be a house of prayer. In the early church, we find something consistently taking place that seems to be missing in many churches today, and that is that church folks were praying for other church folks instead of gossiping about other church folks and talking about them and being frustrated at them and wondering how they're going to act or what they're going to wear or what they're going to do. In the book of Acts, the church folks were praying for other church folks. In Acts chapter 12, you might say that a rather influential church member found himself in real trouble. As a matter of fact, you and I know him as the Apostle Peter. He's put on death row and the situation appears to be hopeless. But if you read through that story, I've come to tell you and to remind you tonight that prayer always changes things. In the early church, corporate prayer was a standard. It was what they did. As a matter of fact, the temple was not just used once a week. I think it's a crying shame when I hear of churches that build big elaborate buildings and they only show up and use it for an hour and five minutes on Sunday. 
and it sets vacant the rest of the time. Look through the scripture and the Bible would say that they went to the temple at the hour of prayer. It wasn't something that they did for 21 days or 40 days or for a feast, but they went to the temple daily for prayer. It's what they did. What has happened in this culture that we can't get people to pray for an hour a week, much less for an hour a day. But the scripture bears out that the early church made prayer a standard. The early church was the model for the church today. We, we as Christian Life Church consider ourselves, I teach it to our new members as they come, I, I, I let them know we are an extension of the book of Acts. But tonight I just want to pause for a minute and ask you, are we? Are we really, does our prayer life really show that we are an extension of a book of Acts church? We tell people we want to be a book of Acts church. We want to see the miracles, signs, and wonders that a book of Acts church would see. We want to see the same things and believe that it's possible to see the same things. But we want to do it without the sacrifice and the prayer. But I have to remind you tonight, that the miracle signs and wonders and deliverances will never come to pass without there being first prayer. Prayer ought to not be what happens after the fact. Prayer ought to be the first thing. I, I was in my office one time and dealing with a desperate situation and I made a statement and my wife jarred me into reality and I've shared it with you before and I'll share it again and again. I said, well, at this point, all we can do is just pray. My wife, without missing a beat, just spoke up and she said, actually, the best thing that we can do is just pray. Wow. Let that settle for a minute. We often let prayer be what we do when nothing else will work. When we can't get an answer anywhere else, then we'll decide we're going to try prayer. When we get desperate, we'll start asking for people to pray. I had somebody today getting a little more desperate about prayer. said, well, uh, your, your wife said something about a group coming in and praying. I wonder, uh, that, that'd be all right with me if you decide that you want to do that. Don't wait until you get in a desperate situation to start asking for prayer. Don't wait until you're in a desperate situation to pray. You, I know you got to start somewhere, but the issue and what's wrong with the church today, if there is, or one of the issues in the church today, maybe I should say, I want to be careful how I say that because there's a lot of good things about the church today. But one of the issues with the church today is that the church waits until the church is in trouble before we start to pray. I remember as a child visiting church people with my father. I never remember leaving one of our church members' houses without us stopping and having a moment of prayer. I remember sometimes that we didn't just stop and have a moment of prayer, but we literally knelt down. I could take you to some of those homes and families. It's burned in my mind. I, I remember kneeling and praying 
in some of the church folks' houses. And I was a little boy, and I remember thinking, man, surely they have an apple or a snack or a toy or something I could go and do, but I guess i got to pray. It was how I was raised. I was brought up understanding the power of prayer, and that's why in those days we witnessed a mighty revival in a little small community stuck away in the middle of nowhere, a church that by today's standard would be a very large church. Great revival broke out, but it was because the people of God knew how to pray. It was more than just the pastor prayed, but the people of God knew how to pray. And when we gathered together at church, it wasn't begging people to pray. But I still remember the thundering sound of the voices of men and women that began to pray and cry and call on the name of the Lord. The time you spend in prayer is not wasted time. Prayer challenges our faith. Without faith, Prayer feels like we're just talking into the wind. Without faith, prayer feels like that we're just, we're just talking to some, talking about our problem, thinking it over. A faithless individual might think so. But by faith, the Bible said that the prayer of faith is what saves the sick. It is the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous man that availeth much. When our prayer is coupled with faith and fervency, that's when prayer begins to be effective in our own lives. We talk about prayer. I understand why some will disconnect tonight even as I teach and talk about prayer because faith is challenged at the point of prayer. When we begin to pray without faith, we will get disgusted, we'll get tired, we'll get weary. But when we really understand that when we pray, God hears. And when we have the faith to believe that when I begin to pray that I am summoning heaven and all the, the, the eyes of heaven turns down toward the earth and God is hearing my prayer and I'm communicating. It's the avenue that God has for us, for humanity to communicate with Him. This is why prayer is so important. We couple it with faith and understand you're not just talking to a neighbor, to a friend, to somebody that will listen, but you're talking to God who is able to change the situation when Peter was in jail the Bible said prayer was made without ceasing it seems to me like the early church knew that if they would just keep on praying keep on praying keep on praying that eventually God would show up and would deliver him they prayed without ceasing I want you to know there's power in your prayer. And that power summons heaven and the help of the Lord will come through in your prayer. When Moses prayed, God spared Israel from judgment. When Joshua prayed, God caused the sun to stand still. Those are some powerful prayers. I was listening to an online preacher last night and I heard him say, you're never going to see the things that those people see, I beg to differ with you. 
I still believe that prayer can move mountains, that prayer can turn things around. I still believe that when the church begins to pray, the lost that they said would never be saved will come in and be saved and be back. I still believe miracles can happen. Cancer can be healed. Heart disease can turn around. I still believe it happens today. Hannah prayed and God gave her a baby that she had longed for. Solomon prayed and God gave him wisdom that he sought for. Elijah prayed and God sent fire down from heaven. Jonah prayed and God brought him out of the belly of a great fish. The thief on the cross prayed and God showed mercy. What is the greatest of these miracles that I've ministered that I've ministered about tonight or talked about tonight? What's the greatest? Can we really put size elements on the miraculous power of God? I'll tell you what the greatest thing that God could do right now. It's whatever you need Him to do. Because at this moment when you say, I need God to help me, and we begin to pray about something that is important to God and gets the attention of heaven. The saints of old prayed and revival came. And I'll tell you how revival is going to come in 2019. When CLC, no, not just the preachers, not just the staff and leaders, but when the membership, when the body gets on fire with prayer and starts realizing when I pray, I'm going to put some faith into this and I'm going to start believing. I may not see it tonight. I'm going to tell you something. My mother died praying for things she never saw. She's been gone 20 years and I'm still seeing the things that she prayed for come to pass today. 20 years later, don't give up on your prayers. Don't let somebody tell you. I heard somebody say one time, oh, just pray one time. God heard you. Don't ever have to pray it again. Beg to differ with you. Keep that faith rolling. Keep weeping over it. Keep praying over it. Keep believing God over it. Keep asking Him for it. Eventually, He's going to answer in His time. The success of the early church was because people knew how to get in touch with God and they were willing to do what they knew how to do. Oh my, let me talk to you for a moment. Can I get real with us tonight? There are some of us in this room tonight. There are some folks in this room tonight that know how to pray. You don't need another lesson on prayer. You know how to pray. You don't need me to tell you how to pray. I understand not everybody's there. Everybody's at different levels. There's some tonight that may need lessons. and we, this, this is why we often do lead prayer. It makes it easier for some that may not have all the skill set of prayer. I was challenged a little bit about lead prayer. But let me explain to you. The reason that we do lead prayer is because not everybody in the room knows how to pray. And so we're teaching as we pray. We teach and we practice. We put it into we, we, we give examples and then we lead through that prayer. We're teaching people how, we're giving people the tools so that 
Prayer doesn't end here, but then when they go home, they can pray the same kind of prayer. And so we're putting tools in their hand. But I'm going to tell you, when the church begins to pray, when we begin to seek God, we begin to call on God, you can get ready. Things are going to happen. But I have to warn you, when the church begins to pray, there are other things that begin to happen. The enemy will also start to work. But the issue today, the great issue today, don't let me get too sidetracked here, but the great issue is that there are a lot of folks that know how to pray while others don't know how to pray. And we may even criticize their lack of prayer or their lack of ability to pray or the church as a whole when we know how to pray. I'm speaking to your willingness to engage into the practice of prayer. Praying the way you know how to pray. I wonder, I wonder what would happen in this church if over the next 18 days or so as we're meeting for prayer, I wonder what would happen if every member of our church that really knows how to pray would be willing to just pray. I wonder what would happen. I'm not talking about another lesson in prayer. I'm not talking about another thing to try to draw people in and some creative way to try to just getting people to come and get on their face and begin to pray the way they know how to pray. And I wonder what kind of exceptional move of God we would have. When people begin to pray, things begin to happen, and the enemy begins to fight. I know the church increased during times of prayer, but so did the rumblings and the discontent. That may be to be expected. I've lived long enough to know that there's always somebody that's discontented. No matter how smooth things are running, somebody's going to get crossways. Somebody, I've, I've lived a lifetime in the church. And when things are going well, we still need to pray because it's not going well for everybody. And the enemy is always scheming and plotting to try to stir up some junk and cause some kind of issue. That's the work of the enemy. That's what he does. In the early church, after praying got started, problems arose. The problems, the Bible said there were problems from within and problems from without. Problems from within were things like the treasure of the church named Judas stole money and committed suicide. I'd say they had some problems. Jesus was their pastor, so don't point your finger so quickly. The most prominent leader among the membership named Peter denied that he even knew the Lord. There was strife going on, racial strife that is, between the Jews and the Gentiles which caused murmuring among the membership and some were saying this is for us and not for them. A faithful member by the name of Stephen, he was 
taken and stoned right in the middle of all of it. Then there was a government hitman by the name of Saul of Tarsus who was, pers- who was persecuting individual members of the body. But the church was still praying. There was conflict going on, conflict over laws and rules that the church was preaching. There were problems from within and problems from without. And then the decree was made that they were not to teach or even speak the name of Jesus or they were going to be killed or stoned. Peter now has been put into prison and Herod was planning on killing him to make a bunch of crazy people that didn't want him praying happy. Don't get too caught up at where the world is today. Just stop and look at what was going on in the church. It's not too much different than where we are today. Peter, a righteous man, is thrown in prison for speaking the name of Jesus. They were willing to murder him to make a bunch of other people happy. That's political agendas. It was a messed up situation because the church has always been plagued with problems from within and without. But what you and I must learn to do is pray in the midst of the problems from within and without. In the midst of the problems, it's not time to to stop praying. As a matter of fact, show me somebody that can pray when everything's good. God bless you. But when I see somebody that knows how to go to God in prayer when things aren't going so good, that's somebody who understands the power of prayer. Prayer works. There is power in prayer. Isn't it strange how we pray for someone that is somewhere else and we expect an answer, but we struggle to believe God when we pray for our own needs. For some, it's easier to believe that God can heal cancer than it is that He can heal a headache. So we go take a Tylenol. For some of us, it's easier to believe that God can save the drug addict and the alcoholic, but it's hard to believe that He can save our wayward child. Notice what they were doing in the early church. They were praying. They had insurmountable problems. A madman named Herod was terrorizing the early church. Herod had done three things. The Bible said he stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. Not all the church. Just some of the church. Those who were trying to do good work. He was vexing them. He began by afflicting them, imprisoning them finding them, taking away their houses and their good. Need I tell somebody that if the devil is troubling you, it's probably because you're up to something good. He wants to discourage you and cause you to quit. I tell you what you got to do. You got to just keep on praying. Keep on believing. The apostle said, I count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye be imperfect and entire, wanting nothing. The second thing that I want to point out to you tonight that Herod did 
was Herod killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. James was one of the first three of the Lord's disciples. He was one of those who witnessed his transfiguration as he ascended. He was one of those that Jesus called the sons of thunder. Let me encourage anybody who's being vexed by the devil. Your vexing may be evidence that you have an anointing on your life. And Satan wants to take you out because it was only certain that King Agrippa wanted to get his hands on. It's only certain that he wants to. If you're not a prayer warrior, the devil don't really care. He doesn't care how many, how much good music we have and how many wonderful songs we sing and how much we clap. He doesn't really even care how much we dance and shout inside the building. But he does care how much we pray and how much heaven it, it comes down to earth and how, many, how much difference we're making in our world. third thing that Herod does is he locks up Peter, the one who would go on to preach that sermon, that remarkable sermon that we all love so much, that would result in 3,000 souls being saved. Peter preached the message on the day of Pentecost. It wasn't the 120. Jesus told them to go and tarry. All the work of Jesus' ministry led to only 120 being filled on the day of Pentecost. But it inspired Peter to stand up on the day of Pentecost and preach a message that ended with a 3,000 soul revival and put something into perpetual movement that was to bring about a 5,000 soul revival. And, and, and then the, the, the message began to spread all throughout Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and and into the uttermost part of the world. It all started with one man. The devil knows. He knows if he can sidetrack leadership, the function of the church will be affected. He knows if he can, if he can affect the father or the mother, that the whole home will be affected. Don't be fooled by his tactics. The devil knows if he can get your marriage at odds that he's already got the upper hand on your revival. The awakening's not going to do much for you because you're going to fight your way home from church every night. He knows who to pick a fight with. He knows who to attack. It's usually not those that are prayed up. It's those that decide, I'm going to pray, and as soon as he sees there's going to be a change, he desperately begins to fight you and come against you. I'm going to tell you, church, we've got to make up our mind right now. We've got to make up our mind right now that in the days to come, I can promise you, we're going we're gonna to have sickness plague the church. We're going to have weariness plague the church. We're going to get tired. We're going to have to work late. We're going to have every excuse under the sun. Why not to show up on Tuesday night? Why not to have prayer in a home on Monday night? Why not to be at Bible study on Wednesday? Why not to pray on Thursday night and Friday night and Saturday night? We're going to have every reason in the world. But I'm going to tell you, we consecrated it to the Lord on Sunday. And if we will begin to resist, the devil, the Bible said he'll flee from us. You know how you're going to resist him? Being steadfast in your faith. Get up. I don't feel like it, but I'm going to the house of the Lord. Thank you for setting an example tonight. Annette, thank you for being here tonight. You set a good example for us. She's not contagious. She, she has other issues tonight, but she came to the house of the Lord. I'm not telling you if you're sick, you got to be here, but I'm telling you, you got to resist the little petty things of this little thing happening. I, I got 
got an excuse now not to be in the house of the Lord. I understand we had to cancel Saturday. The weather was so horrible. People were calling, I can't come, I can't come, I can't come. And I canceled Saturday and I felt convicted over it. Not because I feel like that it's something that God's going to judge me for, judge the church for. But I'm going to tell you what, what I feel. This is how I feel. Nobody has to make excuses. If you're snowed in, you're snowed in. If you're iced in, you're iced in. If you travel a long distance to get here, you work late, can't make it, God bless you. We understand. I'm not picking on anybody tonight. Please don't take it that I am. But this is how I feel. From here forward, unless we get some sort of snowstorm that they close the roads and tell us we can't drive, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to open the church and have prayer. I got two four-wheel drive vehicles. I'm going to kick them in four-wheel drive. I have about a mile to get here. Brother Jeremy has less than that to get here. Brother Newcomer has less than that to get here. You know what we're going to do? For those of us who want to come, we're just going to come. Weather's bad, we're just going to come. If you can't, I understand. I'm not judging you. We're not taking attendance. Please don't take it that we are. But I want to show the devil something. That CLC is not a church that's looking for an excuse to not have church. Looking for a reason to not pray. Looking for an excuse. Looking for an easier route. We have dedicated the next 18 days or so to the Lord in prayer and fasting. And by the help of the Lord, we're going to do our best. I'm preaching this right now, and the devil's trying to whisper in my ear, mm-hmm, what if you get sick? Well, if I do, somebody else is going to come stand in the gap. And if you get sick, somebody's going to stand in the gap. I'm not, I'm not telling you to be here if you can't be here. That's, please don't take this out of context tonight. But I am telling you this much. The devil's going to know that CLC is in the house for the next 18 days. We're going to pray. We're going to fast. We're going to seek God. And we're going to have a move of God. And we're going to see some changes in our personal life. This is no time to quit, to step back. It's time to pray. When the early church prayed, things happened. Peter was being kept in jail. The church never stopped praying the night before Peter was to be put in jail. Was to be put on trial. He was in jail and his chains were put on him. The Bible gives a pretty clear view. Four quadrants of soldiers were guarding him. And an angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said, get up. Get that? An angel of the Lord appeared unto him while he's in prison. He's in chains. He's got four quadrants of soldiers around him. The angel of the Lord appeared to him. The earth begins to shake. The chains fell off. The angel says, get up, get dressed, put on your sandals and your coat. That's some kind of prayer meeting, folks. I just kind of feel this in the Holy Ghost tonight. And I, don't want to, I don't want to spook anybody out. And I don't want anybody to feel weird and strange. First off, I'm going to tell you this. If you're living right, walking right, and when you've got an atmosphere of prayer. Somebody said something about the church the other day. And they said, well, boy, it sure is spooky. The church ought to never be a spooky place. Ain't no devil want to hang out around here. This ought to not be a spooky place. This ought to be a holy place. If you see any ghost around here, it ought to be the Holy Ghost. It ought to be an angelic host. 
And I feel like that in the next few weeks, that as people begin to pray, people are going to begin to have experiences like Peter had. You ought to start expecting it. We're going to pray until God moves. It may take an angel of the Lord showing up telling you to get up, Peter. Your chains are loose. Put on your clothes. Why in the world did an angel have to show up to tell Peter? I can tell you why. Because Peter was just as in the flesh as you and I are. And I guarantee you some of us need an angel of the Lord to show up in the middle of our prayer meeting to tell us, hey, get up, you're healed. Get up, your chains are loose. Get up and get dressed. you got to walk out of here. You've been praying for it. You've been worshiping for it. You've been asking God for it. It's done. Get up off of your slumber. Get up and start getting together. Your answer is here. It may happen on a church night. It may happen on Monday night in your home. It may happen during prayer meeting. But I believe we're going to have some angelic visitations that the angel of the Lord is going to speak to somebody and say, hey, get up and get your robe on. It's time. Your answer's here. You've been delivered. You've been set free. It's how what you're asking for has come to pass. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. The angel had to tell him to get up because he was in the flesh. We may have some angelic visitations. I haven't shared it with you, and I know normally I share these kind of things on Sunday. I shared something with you last week. I'm going to share another something with you. I was in my bedroom a few days ago, I have no earthly idea what this means. I was in my bedroom a few days ago, a week or so ago, maybe two weeks ago. I was in my bedroom. I was there alone. And there was a presence, just I sensed it walk into the room. And the angel of the Lord just walked in and just walked right through the room and disappeared. I have no earthly idea why. A couple of days ago, I had the same exact experience all over again. I asked the Lord why. He said, you're going to understand it, but not yet. I don't know why, but it inspired me enough to know. I haven't had these kind of experiences many times in my life at all. Very, very rare. I wasn't afraid, I wasn't spooked, I didn't even find it strange. I was just, I was literally in my bed and the angel just walked up by my bedside and I saw it as clear as day, there was no face, there was just a figure, a white figure that moved through and out to the end of my bed and out through the window and the window was closed. The same exact thing, the same exact pattern, the same exact movement happened all over again. I know what you're thinking. It was an angel. It was probably been my wife. But it wasn't. She was downstairs. Sometimes we don't know what to make of all of it. But maybe one of these times the angel's going to stop by and say, Hey, by the way, the thing you've been praying for, it's already happened. Get your robe on and walk out of the prison. 
Just go with my faith and know that it's come to pass. I don't know what it's about, but I do believe that there are going to be some angelic visitations that's going to come to some of you, and it's going to be an answer to your prayer that God is going to send, have to send a messenger because we don't even have the faith to believe. You've been praying and asking God for it, and you're praying with a, with a level of faith, but God's going to do it to prove the power of your prayer, and he's going to have to send an angel to come to persuade you it is done. The answer has come. It has happened. Peter knocks on the door. A little servant girl by the name of Rhoda answered the door. She heard Peter's voice. She was too excited to open the gate. She ran back into the house and began to tell them, hey, Peter's standing out. I can just imagine what it was like. They all thought she was crazy. (laughs) Folks are real quick. When God begins to answer to say there's no way possible that that's happened. Peter's standing out at the door saying, hey, would somebody open the door so I could come in? Rhoda comes, opens the door, sees it, goes back in, starts telling the people, hey, it's Peter. He's standing at the door. It can't possibly be Peter. Peter's in jail. Come on, church. We got to keep praying. God, deliver Peter. Peter's standing out there knocking. I wonder if your miracle may be standing at the door knocking. And because of your prayer, the Lord is going to answer and he's going to send an angel to come by to tell you, hey, it's here, it's happened. Remember, these are the same folks that prayed for Peter while he was in prison. Now they're shocked and amazed that he actually showed up at the door. Here's what I want to say to you tonight. We need to learn to pray with more expectation. To pray with more expectation. We've got to pray until something happens. Not only that, but we've got to pray when nothing is happening. And we've got to pray and believe God is going to do it. He's going to send an answer. I promise you, when we pray, help is on the way. Without prayer, the church is motionless. Without prayer, we are spiritual, spiritually inoperable. Without prayer, there is no spiritual function. Without prayer, we are spiritually useless. Without prayer, we are spiritually powerless. Without prayer, we will become godless. But I'm going to tell you what prayer and fasting will do. I was driving down the road today, and I was thinking about a few things, and I didn't feel anything in my heart whatsoever. I started thinking about people who years ago and times ago and months ago and ages ago have wronged. And I'm going to tell you what praying and fasting will do. It'll cause you to forgive people that never ask for your forgiveness. And maybe don't even deserve your forgiveness, but you deserve forgiveness. And because the scripture says that you're going to be judged the way that you judged, you choosing to forgive even when you ought to not have to forgive, but you're going to forgive them anyway. That's what prayer and fasting will do. It will cause you to love people that are unlovable, but you're going to love them anyway because you're praying and fasting and it sets you up in a situation where you say, God, I forgive them. I hold no grudge against them. Oh, got a little tight in here. You know what real forgiveness is? It's not saying okay when somebody comes and says I'm sorry. Real forgiveness is forgiving it when they don't even come to say 
And when they come to say, oh, brother, I'm sorry. I already forgave you a long time ago. I never held that to your account. You are forgiven. You go in peace in Jesus' name. Had somebody call me on the phone several months ago. They wronged me many, many years ago. Horrible, horrible wrong, terrible wrong. It took them nearly 20 years to call me. They called me on the phone. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't want to be held back. I don't want to be held up. (laughs) I said, you didn't have to call me. I released you a long time ago into the hands of the Lord because I wasn't going to live my life dealing with the hurt and the wrong that somebody put into my life and allow bitterness to spring up in me because I refuse to forgive. During this prayer and fast season, God's going to bring some people to your mind and to your thought. He did it to me today. Three different individuals the Lord brought to mind today, and I dealt with all three situations today because the Lord brought it to mind in the middle of prayer and fast, and I challenge you, when the Lord begins to bring something to your mind, you don't have to call them and contact them, but you need to forgive them and forgive the situation. You need to get it out of your spirit. You need to put it behind you. If we'll do some of the things I'm talking about tonight, there is going to be a supernatural breakthrough and flow of freedom. There is going to be a freedom like you haven't walked in. Your ministry is going to be freer than it's ever been. There will be no condemnation. I'm going to tell you what the scripture said. There is there now, now there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. But there's more to that scripture. That walk not after the flesh. Oh my, boy, it feels good to hold that grudge. It feels stop walking after the flesh. The no condemnation comes because you don't seek to please the flesh. You seek to please the king. Begin to forgive it. Begin to let it out of your spirit. Begin to let it go and forgive it in Jesus' name so that you can walk without condemnation over the situation. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus that walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There's some things you need to let go. We've got to let go so that our prayer breaks through with faith. I'm closing quickly tonight. Prayer is the hinge from which all spiritual things will pivot. Prayer is the oil that that oils all spiritual things so that they may function freely. Prayer is the vehicle from which all spiritual things are moved. Prayer is the glue by which all spiritual things are held together. Prayer is the crude by which all spiritual things are fueled. It all comes out of prayer. I thank God for our great music team. They're excellent. I love it. I love our worship. I love it when this church begins to worship and praise. I love it. They're gifted. They're talented. They come early and rehearse. They do all of these things that should be done. The Bible says to sing in the Spirit and to sing with understanding also. That's Bible. 
Some people say, well, they need to not rehearse so much and just get up there and let her fly. That's unbiblical. Sing with understanding also. I thank God for our great talent. I thank God for the sacrifices that this team comes early on Wednesday and early on Sunday morning and early on revival services and they rehearse and they and they get I'm, I'm in my office and the music comes on and people are up here rehearsing and and working and, and but don't ever let your rehearsal get in the way of your prayer. Because without the anointing that is birthed in prayer, your talent will get you nowhere. It doesn't matter whether it's me or who it may be standing in this pulpit that is preparing to preach. I know some feel like the only opportunity you have to talk to the pastors just before service. God bless you. I'll talk to you after service, but please give me my before service time because I'm trying to get in tune with the Holy Ghost. I want to be tuned in to what God wants to do. I want to get my studying done, and then I want to get in the mind of God in prayer so that when I walk out of that office and come walking into this place, I'm not burdened down with all the cares and the load, but I walk to this place being refreshed by the power of the Holy Ghost that comes only through prayer, and I walk to this pulpit and teach and preach under the unction of the Holy Ghost with the favor of God upon the Word that is coming forth, whether you're whether you worship, we need to flavor it with prayer. Flavor it with prayer. I've got to close. If we would be willing to lay aside all of our discomforts and commit to praying for one another, the next 18 days that God has called us to the season of prayer and fasting, I want to tell you there's going to be substantial breakthroughs in your life substantial breakthroughs in your life. Spiritual visitations, I believe, is coming to some of you. Answers to prayers that you've been praying for a long time. Children coming home. Grandchildren being saved. Marriages being, being, being put back together. Relationships. Freedom. You're going to walk in some freedom you've never walked in before. I feel that so strongly in the Holy Ghost tonight. I didn't rehearse it. I didn't put it in my notes. But the Lord began to deal with me as I'm preaching tonight that there's some of you that have been living for God for a long time, but you're bound in fetters and chains. And the angel of the Lord's going to come and say, you've been free a long time. You need to step out into that freedom and operate in that freedom that God is wanting to grant you. He's bringing it to you. Stand with me tonight. God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight, but for just a couple of minutes, could we just ignite this house with some prayer and praise unto the Lord and just shout unto the Lord for a moment and let him know, God, we're committing ourselves to prayer. We're committing ourselves to the function of prayer. Lord, we're believing that you're going to do the impossible. God, we're believing. We're committing to you. Lord, we're going to do more. We're going to do our part. We're going to pray. Your word challenges us to pray. When we begin to pray, things begin to change because we begin to change. God, I'm believing tonight as we are committing to this time and season of prayer. I'm believing, God, that heaven is going to be moved, that heaven is going to come down to earth, that deliverance is going to happen, that captives are going to be set free, that chains are going to be loose, that visitations are going to come to your people, that deliverance is going to come. In the name of the Lord, I'm believing that the power of the Holy Ghost is going to be released, that people are going to lay hands on the sick and they're going 
going to recover. God, that people are going to be saved by the mention of the name of Jesus. That demons are going to flee. That this city is going to be moved. That this region is going to be turned around. I believe it in the name of the Lord. That powerful prayer is going to break loose among your people. And people's lives are going to be turned around. And new things are going to happen in our lives that have never happened before. We claim it in the name of the Lord. We believe it in the name of Jesus. We lay hold on it in the name of the Lord. And we rejoice in the God of our salvation. We are victorious by the name of the Lord. We're victorious by the word of our testimony. We're victorious by the blood of the Lamb. And we declare it and claim it in the name of the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Somebody help me give God praise. Help me give him praise tonight. He's worthy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, lift up your voice. Lift up your voice. Lift up your voice. Let heaven hear your praise tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.